We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. And I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 10 that Charlie read to you here in Romans 10, 9 through 11. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, no doubt, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. God will not promise what he cannot deliver. Uh, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you shall be saved. Peter said to the generation of his day, be saved out of this perverse and crooked generation. Paul said, for by grace are you saved by faith. Uh, John, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. As a matter of fact, the word saved in some form is mentioned in the Bible 398 times just short of 400 times. As a matter of fact, if someone's trying to do a parody of our faith on Saturday Night Live or anywhere, all they've got to say is, brother, are you saved? And everybody knows what you're talking about. Because uh, the idea of being saved, that passive idea, not that you save yourself, but the idea that you are passively saved by somebody on the outside coming in to do for you what you can't do yourself. That is an idea that is unique to Christianity. Other belief systems, there's no need for salvation from the outside because man is not really lost, because there is not any final punishment, or because your works will save you or you simply don't believe in final punishment. So the idea of a passive salvation done by God to the one who trusts him. That is an idea unique to the faith. Uh, it is something, number one, when you talk about what being saved is, is that it's something done by God that the subject is acted upon. It is an act of divine intervention in a person's life. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that Logan taught us last week, for by grace are you saved by faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of your works, lest anyone should brag. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent. No one has a word to say before God except praise Jesus. As a matter of fact, the name Jesus was introduced to Mary by Gabriel the angel, who said his name shall be named Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The word Jesus means God is salvation. So the angel in a sense said, his name shall be Jesus because he will Jesus his people from their sins. Moses can lead you up to the promise, but the law cannot take you in. Moses has to die. And then someone who comes after him will lead you into the promised land. That someone's name is Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, okay? And so it is an act performed by God. And thus the Christian very really can say, when were you saved? Have you been saved? That is the essence of the Christian faith. You know, one time I was at a, may have shared this, I was at a gym and there was a guy that was doing bench pressing. His name was Eric. And uh, Eric had been pushing around about 135 pounds, you know, pretty stout. Well, he decided he'd put on 225. <laughs> and I'm watching this and I'm thinking, this ain't good. This ain't good. I've got an, in, I've, I've got an illustration coming. I could tell. <laughs> and I just watched him. And he takes off 225 off that rack with his buggy whip arms, okay? And you start to see him going down. And as it goes, he's going, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. And so I jumped in there after it had sunk about four inches into his chest, okay? And I said to him, Eric, dear fellow, uh, this is what salvation is. 
You don't need me right here to rebuke you for your pride. You don't need me to weep over your imminent death. You don't need me to give you bench press instructions on how to push it. You need me to intervene and to get that weight off of you from the outside doing a strength that you can't do. Can I get an amen, Eric? <laughs> and took it off of him. And I said, that's what salvation is. That it's not bench press lessons. It's not weeping or rebuking you for your arrogance. Uh, it is not exhorting you to push harder any more than when you are drowning at sea. You don't need somebody to give you swimming lessons, okay? Because it's not a question of theory. You're beaten. You don't have the wherewithal to get out of this. That is salvation. That you need somebody from the outside to save you. And so, number one, what it means to be saved is the outside intervention of God through a particular person that met the demands of justice. Now, the other question is, saved from what? I had a buddy years ago named Greg, and uh, we got converted right around the same time, and I remember him saying to me once about his testimony. He said, everybody would say to me, are you saved? And Greg said, I wanted always to say back to them, saved from what? What am I saved from? So what are you supposed to be saved from? Well, there's four things that you're saved from the guilt of your sin. The Bible says all have sinned. Perfect tense. It's done. It's done. And fall short of the glory of God. God in everything he makes, he glorifies himself because it's his creation. Except one thing. And that is the human race. God does not look at them and glory in what they have made. God looks at them and says, while they were still enemies, Christ died for you. We like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But God has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Peter, Christ died for all, the just for the unjust, that he might introduce us to God. And so we are saved from our guilt. You've heard me tell the old story of Sam Houston that was baptized in a river, and the old Baptist preacher said, Sam, your sins are washed away, to which he said, God help the fish. <laughs> and that is the way all of us are. God help the fish, because we're sinners. Amen. All have sinned. Done. The edict is out. No changing it. You can be a better sinner than others or a worse sinner than some, but we're all genus, species, homo cenarius. I just made that up. All right. We are sinners, all of us. Number two, you're saved from the alienation of sin because sin isn't just a positional thing that makes us guilty. It's a constitutional thing that we are natural-born killers. Jesus said, he that commits sin is a slave of sin. Paul, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that worketh in the sons of disobedience. And among them, these Gentiles, we too, we Jew, formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Paul said, we may have been Jews, you may have been Gentiles, but we were all children of the devil. John said, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Boy, what a way to talk about us, but that's fact. Man is not need is not in need of simply more education. He is not in need of better communication. He's not better, needing better transportation. 
of better psychology, better sociology. He's not in need of being uh, gluten-free, all right? I don't care what you do. You're not going to change the heart of man any more than an Ethiopian, his skin, or a leopard, his spots. Jeremiah, you can't change him. Christ is the only way to grant rebirth. For to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of bloods, nor the will of a man, nor the will of the flesh, not physical birth, but who were born of God. And so we are dead in our guilt and we are dead in our natures. I don't know about you, but when I think on my pagan life before I was 22, I never ever recalled shame at my sin. I was ashamed of getting caught. Um, I was not afraid of God, afraid of my mama, and then God close behind her, but I wasn't afraid of God. I never, ever recall repenting. I never recall praying, except when I had something I wanted. Uh, after nights of sin, I would drive home with the yellow stripe, just feet between me and death. And I never recalled ever having the fear of God. What would happen if I died? Because that's who I was. Cats do what they are because they're cats. Dogs do what they are because they're dogs. Humans do stuff like that because they're humans. We're sinners. And so we need a rebirth. And that's the only way we're going to change this thing. Thirdly, he delivered us from, saved us from the wage of sin that is physical death. Paul said, in this earthly tent, we groan. Amen. When you look in the mirror, oh, Jesus, come soon. We groan. Let me tell you something I've learned. Uh, the problem isn't looking in the mirror to know you're dying because you know the proper stance to take. You know your best side, you know. The problem was when somebody takes a picture of you. I don't know about you. When I look at myself, I look like a spiral ham. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you do, Debbie, when I say that? Thanks a lot. Yeah. We're just getting, we're, we're dying. And it's so good that God lets us die slow that every morning he says, repent. <laughs> repent, you're dying. Okay. You have a different odor than you did when you were a child. Repent. In this earthly tent, we groan. Uh, they speak about salvation being in three tenses. We're saved from the past of our guilt, the present of our nature, and the future of the tomb, that we will die. And yet, the Bible says that he will transform the body of our humiliation into conformity with the body of his glory. And so he will save the whole man. And so he saves us from the guilt of sin, the alienation of sin, and from the uh, result of sin, and that is physical death. And he also saves us from what follows that. It's called the second death. It's called the punishment of sin. It's called hell. It's called the lake of fire. It's called the great white throne judgment when all of the dead are raised. Uh, now, let me split hairs. The believer has already been raised from the dead before this at the rapture of the church and the return of Christ to raise Israel. And so the, as you go into the tribulation, the saints of God have been delivered and have been raised. Another sermon for another day. But at the great white throne, it is for the lost, that their bodies are raised. Jesus said that he raised the dead, the righteous to a resurrection of eternal life, the wicked to a resurrection of eternal judgment. Everybody gets a resurrection body, some to endure heaven and some to endure hell. 
And so the Bible says in Revelation 20 that the sea gives up its dead. And Hades, that is the place before the lake of fire, that the wicked go. It says Hades gives up its dead. And they stand before God and the books are opened, Revelation 20. And this is not an impetuous judgment. In a, in a moment, you are aware of what you did and of what you did not do. You're aware. And then your only hope is that the book of life is opened. Not the books, but the book. Because all it is, it's a book with a cross on it. It's the Lamb's book of life. And all you can have is your name in it. And the thing that you abhorred all of your life was repenting and then having your name in the book of life. Now it is your greatest longing. If you could have one more second of life, you would get yourself there, but there's no second chance and it's done. And it said those whose names were not in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire that burns with brimstone, prepared for the devil and its angels. It's a family reunion. I didn't make that up. It's there. No one spoke more about hell than Jesus. He went so far as to say, it's where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Eternal death. Paul said, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. The Bible does not teach that this life is all. It teaches life after death. The Bible does not teach that uh, a pantheism, you all know what pantheism? It means everything is God, pantheos. The universe is God, you're God, God is like us. There's just a great cosmic force out there. Uh, and as you have good karma, you reincarnate into a higher thing. All right, the Mutual of Liberty Emu or uh, the Gecko or something like that, you, you just keep going up. It's a work system. The Bible does not teach pantheism. It teaches that man is eternally distinct from the creation and will judge by himself. Uh, the Bible does not teach uh, that of works, that you die with your fingers crossed, that you were good enough to get out. Doesn't teach that. The Bible does not teach universalism, that man is too good to be judged, God is too good to judge him, that everybody will die and just go to heaven, all the all the outs and free. No, doesn't teach that. The Bible does not teach purgatory, that you get to work off your unrepentant sins in a place of purging until finally you make it and you get on out in time. No, doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach a second chance, that you get another chance. The Bible doesn't teach soul sleep, that you die, go into suspended animation, and all of a sudden you're raised. No, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, when did he say he would be with him in paradise? Today, right now. Within the time you breathe your last, you're going to be someplace else. And with the wicked, that they pass simply into a place called Hades. Remember in Luke 16, there's a guy in hell, and he cries out, Father Abraham, send Lazarus, and let him touch the tip of my tongue with water, for I am in agony with these flames. And he saith unto him, my child, there is a gap fixed between us. No one from here can go there and no one from there can come here. Well, send him to my brothers that he can warn them to, not to come into this place of torment. What do people in hell want to do? Mission work. Go tell my family that they will not come into this same place of torment. It's a funny story. If you can find a funny story about hell, there is one right here. There was a kid at a Christian college that was the hell raiser on the college, was a bad kid. And when you graduated, you put your favorite verse to put by your picture in the annual. And he put down Luke 16 in a particular verse. And somebody wondered, what the heck did he put down? And he looked up and there was that parable. Go to my brothers that they might not come to this place of torment. Talking about the Christian school that he was at. <laughs> they didn't graduate. <laughs> And so he just says, now, they've got the law and the prophets. Someone from the dead is not going to influence them. If they will not believe what the Bible says, 
they're not going to believe in the guy that comes back from the dead to tell them. And that was prophetic of Israel. So there is no second chance. Now is the day of salvation. The day of deliverance is now. Now you make that call today. And the other question is not just saved from what, but you're saved by what? Well, there you see it in verse 9. You confess Jesus as Lord, and you believe God raised him from the dead. God just does not wave a wand and say, you will come in and you will not. There is a problem that has to be bridged, and the problem is the nature of God. He's holy. Adam and Eve sinned, an animal had to die. Israel sinned at Yom Kippur, an animal had to die. And a sin offering, somebody had to die. And they were all looking forward to the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. That's why the Bible says that Christ was slain before the foundation of the world, that God had a purpose for him. And so somebody has to deal with sin. A judge may grieve for his child and long to forgive that child for the crime, but he's a judge and he cannot wink. He cannot lay aside his nature because of his love. Love and justice must be met. And so somebody was a man, was a divine being that became a man, Jesus as Lord. And someone had to be an innocent man that died and rose, that God raised him from the dead. Sin had to be dealt with. And it was dealt with in these two incidents. Jesus is Lord. That this man is not just a good man, a great man, or a smart man. He's not just a religious man. This man is Lord. That's called the incarnation. Jesus said, he that hath seen me hath seen God. Hebrews, God who spoke to the fathers uh, uh, in the uh, Old Testament in many forms and in many ways, in this last day has spoken in his son. He is the image of the invisible God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten God in the bosom of the Father, he has revealed him. For what sin are you stoning me? For what good work are you stoning me, Jesus said. For no good work, but that you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. And so, you confess that this man is Lord. Now you're saying, boy, that's kind of an easy deal just to confess it. That's the most difficult admission that any human ever has to make. The admission that I on my own cannot figure out who God is. He has to come down to a manger and then a carpenter's son and the object of the examination of four gospels and all the Old Testament prophecies, and in that man, I and everybody else in humanity can look at him and know who God is in God's image and in God's word and in God's begotten. It means that Einstein has to lay aside his brilliance. It means that Enrico Fermi has to lay aside his brilliance. It means that C.S. Lewis has to lay aside his brilliance and say, behold the Lamb. And so that's humiliating to us, that God has to speak humanese to us as to who he is. And he goes on to say that he is raised from the dead. Somebody has to die. This man was perfect. This man would die a substitute. This man would be accepted by God as a substitute and this man would victor over death. What holiday is Jesus became Lord? What's that? It's Christmas. You'll find a baby in a manger. Christ the Lord. Baby. God. Messiah. 
And so that's Christmas. What holiday is it when he was raised from the dead? Easter. So it's like Christmas and Easter. Those are holidays that are holidays of great joy and a great uh, uh, austerity. Because simply, I think, the rumor that God has made himself known and has come down and that has paid for our sin and victored over it. The two things that alienate me, my darkness mentally to God, my darkness in my soul to God, they have been conquered. Uh, God doesn't have to make us have hair that grows again. That would be marvelous, but it won't save me. I have to have an incarnation of God. And that self-same incarnation must die for me and rise from the dead that I will have proof cert certain. And he must be the object of 66 books that point to him and back at him and wait for him. Or I can't believe. Jesus said, he who believes in me has set his seal to this. God is true. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets spoke, Jesus of Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Come and see. Just come and see. We have found him, the Messiah. Him? Peter. Andrew to Peter, come and see. They came, therefore, they saw where he was staying, and they stayed that day. They never forgot it. And so those are the two events that God had to deal with. It's kind of like when Israel was going to cross the Red Sea. How do you cross the Red Sea? You don't. You stand by and you wait for God. How can we get into heaven? Answer, you can't. What do you do? You stand back and you wait. Here's Christmas. Wow. Here's Easter. Ah, here's the resurrection. Glory. And the sea opens. Now what do you do? You believe it. And you walk out there. That's salvation. And so we are saved by Jesus, his incarnation and his death and substitution for us. Now, if you'll look at the last thing here, that's who saves us, but what is our response? It says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, we are to do something personal, and it's called faith. Faith is what you do when everything has been done for you and nothing is left for you to do. All you have to do is accept it. How many of you have ever had a kid in college that writes you back and says, no mun, no fun, your son? Anybody ever had that? Dear Pappy, I'm broke. Now, he has no money. Uh, you have money. How are you going to get it to him? He that has never worked. How are you going to get it to him? Okay. You go down to your bank and you transfer money to him. And the bank takes your money, someone who is gainfully employed and shows up for work, and it takes your money and it places it to that child's account as though he were a contributing member of society. Okay. And you see your child and you say, hey, are you registered for the fall? Have you bought yourself some new socks? Have you paid for your car repair? Well, no. Why? Well, I'm broke. Did you not cry out in your indigency? Yes, I did. Did I not say to you that my money is yours? Yes, I believe you did. Did I not tell you that I went to the bank legally and transferred money into your account and you were counted as having money that you did not earn, that was given as a gift? Yes, they told me. Then why have you not paid your bills? Well, I just didn't want to step out and it not be true. Are you going to applaud your child for his humility? You will thump that child. If you want to be 
humble about yourself, child, you feel free. But when I have worked and I made the money and I put it in the bank and I transferred it, don't you dare doubt me. I said to you, it's done. Question, will your child write checks on that money? Oh, yes. Before the check ever cleared. They will believe your word. And that's what it means to have faith in Christ. You have nothing. I have everything. I will take it from my account and put it to yours. For with the heart a man believes resulting in righteousness, I will impute it to you. And so there is a private act between the individual. A father can't save his son. A wife can't save her husband. You have to, on your own, just like with communion, you don't pass it to the head of the family and he take communion for the family. I don't take it for the church. Elders don't take it for the church. Every individual takes the bread and the blood and remembers Christ's death for them. What's the one thing in the Bible that God has never called a grandfather? Do you know that? He is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is the God of Ben, my father-in-law, the God of Tom and Teresa, and he is the God of Ben and, what's my other kid's name? John, okay? He has to minister to them, and now he's got to be the God of six grandkids. I can't get him in. And so you have to believe in your heart that you were in desperate need of light and of life, and you believe I have told to people that I have shared the gospel with, I've talked to them about God's love, their sin, Christ's death, and faith, what it is. Are you with me, fella? I'm with you. What do I do now? You need to pray. You need to go off in the woods by yourself, and you need to sit down under a tree, and you need to lift your eyes, and you need to ask the God of heaven and earth who gave his son Jesus the object of his word, the best of all possible ideas to come into your life and to cleanse you and to make you new and to make you his child. That's faith. So it's a very personal thing, but it's not a private thing. Calvary was personal, but it was not private. It's public. So you believe in your heart and then you confess with your mouth. Those are not two things. That is what true faith is. It is an inward faith. I have believed. But it is the first act of your reinstatement to the sovereignty of God. How much of reality is God not responsible for? None. Everything. There is nothing, Abraham Kuyper said, there is nothing in this universe of which God cannot say, that is mine. And so you confess with your mouth, he is Lord of everything. That is the first of a lifetime of your life being subsumed underneath the sovereignty of God. Jesus said, uh, if we live, we live for him. Paul said, not one of us lives for himself or dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Whether we live or die, everything in between. We are the Lord's. And so this is not some kind of, I'm going to be saved and I'll go on my way and not tell anybody about this. That's not how salvation works. You believe in your heart. And then when you are called to account for the hope that is in you, that you tell them when they say like to the blind man, Weren't you blind? Yes, I was. How do you see? I don't know, but he said to me, go and wash and now I see. I was blind, now I see. But it's never been said that a man has done this. Well, I'll tell you the amazing thing. I was blind and now I see. So you, you confess it. When I got saved, my roommate came to me there at the gym at North Texas and he said, what happened to you? What do you mean? You're different. Would you like to know? Yes, I'd like to know. You know all that stuff about Jesus and God and the Bible and Christmas and all that stuff? 
Yeah, yeah. It's true. It's real. He is the Son of God. He did die for sin. He rose from the dead. And he can actually come into your life and he can take it over and make you new and make you what he wants you to be. The heck you say. That's a fact. And so I wasn't baptized till about three years later, but I had confessed with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. It's not a condition for salvation. It's the evidence. Salvation may be private, but it's, or, or, I messed up. It may be personal, but it's not private. So you will account for your salvation. That's what happened to me. If you, with the heart, a man believes, resulting in righteousness, with the mouth he confesses, and he is, results in saved. Why can we say that he is saved now? Because the scripture says, whoever believes will not be disappointed. God will not change his mind on you. You're not going to get to heaven. And God said, I know I said I'd save you, but I've been watching you these years. The deal's off. No. No. You ever, and I'm not trying to incriminate anybody, but you ever had insurance and you got your insurance all done, then all of a sudden you had to have it. And you said, hey, I, I got this wrecked. Could I have this fixed? Were you driving a gray car? No. Well, we can only insure gray cars. <laughs> and now you find that there's 1,400 loopholes that you thought you had it covered, but you didn't. All right. That's not going to happen. You confess that he is Lord. And in those days, when your first act as a Christian was baptism, every Christian needs in some sense to be baptized. And in those days, they didn't have churches with baptismals. Where would they take you to baptize you? On a river. What is the place that every city is built around? A river. Location, location, location. It's always a river. And so you went down where everybody was. And in the light of day, you got baptized. I belong to him. And so it is a personal, public act of faith in God. All right? And to that person, he shall be saved. Now, you might say, that's too simple. I'd say three things. Simple for who? Simple for you. You know what you do with that thing? You nail people to it, publicly, naked, and watch them die slow, because cursed is everyone who dies on a tree, and you watch the slow judgment of God on a sinner. That's a cross. So it wasn't easy for him. Amen. Living 33 years as divine yet laying it aside to live like Clark Kent, that is not easy either. To not exert his glory for his own benefit. He never would escape what he became. That's not easy. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That is not easy. The words we will never cry out. And so you say it's too easy. It's easy for you but it wasn't easy for him. Number two, it's not merely easy, it's impossible. It's not, it's not merely not easy, it's not even possible. It's so difficult that no human being, if I said to you to be saved, you have to swim the English Channel, you would find a way to get across the English Channel. If I said you can't be saved unless you climb to the first station at uh, Everest, you would find a way to get to Mount Everest and get up there if you had to. If I said you got to go through chemo for six years, you would go through chemo for six years. You would find a way to do it. If I say to you, all you've got to do is to admit that you're darkened and sinful and immedicably so, that there's nothing you can do to change your lost state. Man will do anything to avoid that. He won't do that. And so it was Augustine who said, man doesn't have a free will. And the reason he doesn't have a free will is that your choices are made by your desires. And when you don't want something, you are not going to will it. 
the most disgusting thing to a human being in his sin is Jesus. Do you know that? Uh, to we who believe he is precious, but to those who disbelieve, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. I am offended that you would say that I'm a sinner and that I can be saved by faith just like some pimp over here. I'm on the same level as him. That is exactly what he's saying. Maybe I'll kill you for saying that. And so we are an aroma of Christ among those being saved and lost. To the one, an aroma of death unto death. They smell their sin and they smell where they're going. And we're offensive. But to others, the aroma of life unto life. There's life now in heaven waiting. So people do this and people do that. Simeon said when he was born, he's appointed as a uh, sign to be opposed and the dividing point for many in Israel for life and for death. So there's nothing that a natural man loathes more than the true God, Augustine. We are enemies of him. Now, we don't have a problem with the G-O-D, the good Lord, man upstairs. Uh, our thoughts and prayers are with you. All right, we have no problem with that. But the sovereign God of creation with man in his image who has fallen irretrievably so, saved only by the promised Messiah of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that came through Israel, that was rejected, died on a cross for the sins of man and rose, whereby we are saved by faith. And in this period of faith, those who reject it will be in the lake of fire. Now, that Jesus is extremely offensive. And man's will is frozen. He will not take him because he has no desire for him. How many of you struggle when you drive down the road of stopping, picking up fresh roadkill, taking it home and eating it? Okay. Tells me some southern states that some of you are not from. Right, so. You don't have a problem eating roadkill. All right, Debbie? None? Okay. You have no problem not eating roadkill. Do you know why? Because your will is entrenched. You've never prayed about your struggle with eating roadkill. You've never made, it's never been a temptation to you. It's never been a concern to you. Do you know why? Because your desires are totally inimical to eating roadkill. Have you ever felt fresh roadkill? It's disgusting. I'm going to give you an assignment. You get out and just grab you a fresh armadillo. Hand it to your grandkids. The, the touch of roadkill is disgusting. You ever smelled roadkill? The smell is disgusting. You ever tasted roadkill? I'll give you $500 if you can lick a fresh dead possum and not gag. You can't stand the sight of it, the taste of it, the touch of it, and the smell of it. Amen? You don't want nothing to do with it. That's why it's so amazing that there is one guy that messes with a roadkill in the Bible. His name is Samson. And he tears a lion like it was a kid. He rips him like a squab. And goes on his way and he comes back and bees have made honey inside the dead roadkill. What would you do? <laughs> Not bad. Yeah. And he went along eating as he went. That's kind of the story of his life. Kept digging into nasty stuff. I was speaking once at Kentucky Emory. No. Methodist College. What's the Methodist College in Kentucky? Asbury, Asbury College. I was speaking to Asbury. And I was talking about Samson. I said, how many of you would stop and grab and eat out of a dead roadkill? How many of you would stop and eat out of an armadillo? They all just looked at me. 
And the kid behind me from Kentucky went, possum. <laughs> How many of you would stop and eat out of a dead possum? No! No, you can't eat roadkill. You have no concerns with it. You don't pray about eating roadkill because you don't have a free will to eat roadkill. Your will is determined by your desires, and you have no desire whatsoever to touch a roadkill. That is how a non-Christian feels about Jesus. He is fresh roadkill. I don't want you to wear a gimme cap with Jesus on it, or we will throw you out of this school. Amen? It'll happen. I don't want you to have a Jesus t-shirt on. You can pray, but do not mention that name, Jesus. When I was in Prague, we went through the oldest synagogue in Europe and looked at it, and it was ancient. It kind of had cupolas, domed deals over it. And on the inside, there was a, a frame going this way, the frame going this way, the frame going this way, the frame going this way. So it was like this when you looked up. And they put in an unneeded, unsupporting joist right here. So there would be five different arms. Can you guess why? Because if you didn't, it made a cross. And they would not have a cross anywhere to be seen in that synagogue. And so you can pray, but don't you say that name because he is roadkill. And so our, that's why you can talk to them all day about Jesus and they are not going to believe it because it is disgusting to them to admit before God and men that they are no better than anybody else. We are the called and the chosen and God brings us to that place. So that is what salvation is. What does it mean? It's an act from the outside passively acting upon men, saved from the guilt, alienation, death, and the punishment of sin and hell, saved by what? Christ, his incarnation and his death, Christmas and Easter. And it is apprehended by simple trust. Not faith in Christ and my baptism, faith in Christ and my taking communion, faith in my good works. It is like Charlotte Elliott wrote, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive. You'll welcome, pardon, cleanse, and relieve because thy promise, I believe. O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, though waiting not, to cleanse my soul of one dark blot to thee, whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. That's what it means to be saved. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. And... Uh, I'll assure you, we do not have here uh, 1,400 people that are all saved, about to be raptured. Okay. If the rapture occurred right now, there'd be enough of you here to sweep up and turn out the lights. Okay. So a whole bunch of y'all are non-Christians. That's as clear as we can explain it. That's one of a host of places that's clear. This is not an exceptional text. This is a normal text. It's mentioned over and over and over again. But if that is your attitude this morning, to become a child of God, to become one of us, the saints through the ages, like Christ said, come and see. Not see and come. First you come, and then you see. Come on. And uh, if there may be some people sitting around you that could give you some help, that you could just talk to. If you're here this morning as a Christian, and you have put your faith in Christ and you have been saved. And you are growing with him and you have no problem with somebody saying to you, could you repeat what that man just said? If you would feel confident just simply visiting with somebody right here and talking about God's love, man's sin, 
Christ's death and faith. If you would feel confident doing that, would you just raise your hand? Say, just raise your hand. Now, if you're a non-greatest Christian, just look around. Just look around. Just grab one of them. Grab a rich one. All right. In this service, there's three of them that are here. All right. Just grab some rich guy and just ask him. All right. My buddy, buddy down here, will, he'll buy you a, a Lexus if you'd like one. All right. Father in heaven, we are thankful for this morning and for the clarity of this text. Just three little sentences. Just three sentences. And yet, life and death emerge differently from them. I pray that if there's any here this morning that know they have never put their faith in the living reality of the invasive ability of the Son of God. And I know I'm telling them something that school didn't. And the Ivy League doesn't. And the business place won't. And D.C. can't. But we tell them right here about Christ. And so maybe their attitude this morning would be, thank you, oh God, for giving your son to die for my sin. I take him as my Savior. I receive him into the manger of my heart to be born in me. I pray that you would take over my life. I pray that you would change me to be yours. I ask that you would begin a process that will culminate at your throne and then the delight would go on forever and forever. Forgive me, change me, save me. Father, I thank you that you might have brought those to us this morning. And I pray that they would contact us and we might be able to rejoice with them in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.